I could, I could, I could drop dead right now. Oh, you're not. Let, no, 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 no. Hey, relax. Listen what I'm saying. Listen what I'm saying. Listen what I'm saying. If I was to drop dead right now, my last thought would be, I've had a good life. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Ryan, what if everything you've ever been told by society is wrong? Mm, Everything. Everything. Not morally wrong, but simply incorrect or misleading. Mm. Would we all benefit from maybe doing the opposite? Hmm. That's what I want to talk about today. We got so much to talk about. Let me start my little timer here because uh, I want to make sure we stay on time. Who knows? Maybe our maximal episode today will be extra, extra long this week over on Patreon this Thursday. But uh, before we get into thinking the opposite, we're going to be talking about this book as well. It's Paul Arden's book called Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite. I'll hold it up if you're watching it on YouTube here. So we're going to dive into this. I've got some places marked to cover. But before we get into that, Ryan, I want to talk about someone who was sort of the portrait of doing the opposite. Hmm. And I didn't expect I'd be this sort of profoundly affected by this. But DMX died the week before we're recording this. So Mm -hmm. by the time this comes out, it'll be uh, about a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And... Wasn't a big fan of his music. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew his music. Everyone knew his music. Yeah. You know, he was the first artist ever who had five number one albums. His first five albums were number one albums. Oh, wow. Not the Beatles, not uh, Michael Jackson, not James Brown, not Prince. DMX. DMX. Earl Simmons. Wow. And so, and he had, you know, an amazing career, especially those first four or five albums were often considered classics by, you know, a lot of critics. And, and so his music didn't always necessarily resonate with me. You know, we grew up in the Midwest and, and, and at that time, you know, we were teenagers when, or I guess late teens at that point, mm-hmm. when 98, 99, we were getting ready to graduate high school. Mm. And so that is a formative time in someone's life. In fact, if you look at anyone who's in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they tend to still often listen to music they listen to uh, during high school years. Oh, yeah. I totally fall in line with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still seek out new music, but it seems like strangely the bar is almost the music that you had in your teens. Yeah. And... For whatever reason, his music didn't necessarily speak. He had some songs that were uh, slipping, was a, a song sort of about struggling and dealing with struggles. And mm-hmm. he had other songs like that. But he also had like sort of a lot of party anthems and, you know, I'm allergic yeah. to partying. So right. it didn't resonate with me. But I didn't think I'd be so profoundly affected. In fact, I never met the guy. I didn't know him. The only other person who was famous who died who's had a effect on me when they died was David Foster Wallace. Mm. But I was a huge David Foster Wallace fan when he passed. Mm. And then when this happened, I started sort of reflecting and questioning, like, because I, I was like a mess for like a day. I was crying. I couldn't figure out, like, why is this 
so wow dmx over dmx yeah because wow. i never thought about his music never thought much about him as a person mm. i knew knew of him but i was not profoundly affected by his body of work hmm. and then i realized like oh well he was sort of this portrait of authenticity we're talking about today mm. about about thinking the opposite but he sort of went against the grain Everything that we're told by society is often an affectation. Mm. And in fact, I think if someone had performed or affected themselves like DMX and they weren't DMX, imagine how corny that would have been with the barking and the growling. It would have been a parody. It, yeah. yeah. In fact, he was the only person who I feel like could pull it off in a way where it, it never felt affected. It never felt like a parody. Yeah. It felt authentic. Yeah. And there was a certain sort of timeless cool to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was talking to Jess, the, the gal who managed our social media accounts this week, and we were, we were sort of laughing about how things that are trendy and influencer trends and stuff. Like if you take someone who was really trendy like back in 98 or 99, like even if you – I saw a video of, of DMX with Jay-Z in 1998 or 97 or whatever, mm -hmm. and DMX looked like DMX, and Jay-Z looked like – he came out of a time capsule of 1997. <laughs> it was a parody. The oversized jersey oh, and, and yeah. the giant do-rags. And, and it fit for that time, but it wasn't timeless. And I, I have this picture here. Jordan, let's uh, – actually, I can just hold it up for YouTube if you want to look at it. Here's a picture of DMX. I think it's from 98. <laughs> and like you, he Some could, pit bulls. Yeah, you could have taken this picture today, mm -hmm. and there was a certain timelessness about yeah, it. I'd agree with that. And, and you would have said, oh, yeah, like if someone did this picture today, it wouldn't be out of place. But if you took the average person from 97 and took a picture of them, just like if you took the average person in, in 2021, mm -hmm. and you look at it 20 years later, it's going to be like, oh, my gosh, we dressed like that? Right. Right, right, like Jay-Z in the oversized jersey. Right. Like, it, yeah, not so timeless. Yeah, and, and it's kind of cool because you go back and see his time capsule, like, what were we doing? Oh, we were trying to be trendy. Mm. But he was never trying to be trendy. In fact, at the time when he was making music, even though it wasn't music that deeply resonated with me, I respected it because at the time it was P. Diddy and shiny suits and high production value and he came out with this video uh, yeah his yeah. first video was get at me dog and it was this song that was like so grimy and raw and the video was filmed at the tunnel which was like this famous underground club and it was so gritty and raw it was like you recorded with a camcorder or something yeah but there was this authenticity there yeah so he died of a drug overdose and it's funny because every time i hear like a celebrity dying over like a drug overdose mm -hmm. There's a piece of me that gets it. It's like they top out at a certain point. So DMX had five number one albums. Mm -hmm. um, his sixth album was a couple hundred copies shy of being number one album. Wow. Yeah. But, but you think about his party anthems and stuff, but it's like you get wrapped up in that constantly feeling good. And then, you know, now when he, uh, you know, fast forward to when he isn't producing number one albums, like mm -hmm. he's missing that hype of having that number one album. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what makes you feel great? Mm. Some really good drugs. That, that becomes the new number one album. Yeah, right, exactly. So um, it's funny because a piece of me wants to be like, why are we, why are we even talking about this guy? He died, exactly. of, died of a drug overdose. Right. But then the other piece of me is like, you know, I've been there mm -hmm. with, with drugs and alcohol. And, and overdoses. And overdoses. And it's very, it's very, it's a very simple easy solution. It's, it's bad. It's a bad solution mm. <laughs> to a really 
difficult problem. Well, this is why I say the, the, the solutions are the problem. This is like the extreme example of right, that, right? Where right. like it does, it is a solution. Sure. But it, it creates more problems. And I think sometimes we don't think about like, we, we see a solution in our, our, in our society and we say, well, do the thing that fixes the problem. Not realizing that yes, it does fix the problem, but it creates much greater problems yeah. in our life. Totally. He had this line in, at the beginning of Slippin', which was my favorite song of his. He said, to live is to suffer, but to survive is to find meaning in the suffering. Amen. That's like, sounds like Buddha. Yeah, it, it really does. It's, you know, a sort of, you know, I mean, he was a very religious man uh, as well. And the thing that I, I see with DMX is that he was suffering his entire life. Mm. And he suffered especially when he became famous. famous yeah. And in fact, uh, you and I were talking before the podcast, he had this, he had uh, a moment where he became you know, world, uh, household name, world famous. Mm -hmm. And he was praying and he said, God, why did you give all this to me? I didn't ask for all of this. Yeah. Because he knew also like, oh, I know what this is going to do to me. Yeah. And and he he recognized that maybe he didn't have the tools or the strength or or whatever to deal with all of this. Yeah. And so I I I, the reason I, I felt so shooken up is because I went and, and I sort of fell down the rabbit hole. I was watching these old interviews of him and, and I could see the pain and the suffering. And we identify with that. And that's really what stood out to me. Mm. It wasn't this great man with this great career and the number ones. Yeah, so what? Mm. What, was, what really resonated was the struggle. The realness. The pain. We all, we all struggle. Yeah. And what a great, I don't know, great example of... Uh, having everything, being rich and famous, uh -huh. but y you still struggle. Yes. There's still a struggle. Well, someone asked him in an interview, now that you have all this fame and money, what do you want? Mm. And he said, a smile a day. <laughs> and, and to me, in that moment, mm. it was really sobering because even he recognized. And by the way, you didn't see him doing, you know, wearing millions of dollars worth of jewelry and driving around in Lamborghinis right. and stuff like that. I mean, in fact, he used money. Uh, he was a very giving person as well. In fact, you, you saw that he actually went broke in the early 80s because he was giving away all this money to schools and his friends. And, mm. and, and you realize like, oh, what he was trying to do was contribute beyond himself. He mm. did that with his music. And then he, he said, well, I've got this gift. Let me let find ways to, to give it. Even while he was struggling, never pretended to be someone that... He wasn't. Mm. And that there was a certain authenticity in that. And when I went back and watched these interviews now, sort of in retrospect, I saw how much pain he was in. And in a way, I heard Joe Budden say this this week, like, don't feel sorry for him because he doesn't feel sorry for himself at this point because mm. he knew how much he was suffering and, yeah. and wanted that suffering to, to end. In fact, we even started this episode, instead of our normal advertisements suck, there's that line, if I drop dead right now, my last thought would be I had a good life. Yeah. Now for him, a good life wasn't a perfect life and it wasn't the ideal life. It, it was a lot of suffering, a lot of struggle. It was mm -hmm. finding meaning in the suffering. Yeah. Last two and a half years for me have been extreme suffering. You know, I wake up most days in just terrible, crippling pain. And mm -hmm. I rarely talk about it on the podcast uh, because I don't, you, I don't have any desire to bother you all with it. but. That I think that's really what, what broke me down this past weekend when I was going through these interviews. I saw the suffering in him. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain gratitude 
not that I'm glad that he died, but I'm glad that he's not suffering mm. anymore. Yeah. Because there was, man, there was extreme suffering. And he was, he had faith, but he also had like all of these flaws. And we didn't love him despite the flaws, I think. Mm. I think in a way we sort of loved him because he was publicly flawed. Mm. There wasn't this veneer of DMX. Yeah. It was raw and gritty and honest in a way. Mm. Maybe not even honest is probably not the right word. It was the truth. Mm. Even when he was lying, you could see when he was lying about his drug problems and rehab and overdoses and things like that. Mm. You could see the truth in, in the suffering. So before we move on to this book, Think the Opposite, I want to play this quick excerpt from an interview he did. This was a month before DMX died. It's this little butterfly story. Let's have a listen. Actually, you know what? Before we get into this, let me just give you a, a quick preface. The, the story he's about to tell is when he's a little kid and he's chasing a butterfly. I saw a butterfly the size of my fucking hand. Mana, butterfly. Beautiful. And I was like, chasing on the ball, like, oh, I gotta get it, I gotta get it, I gotta get it. And it went in the neighbor's yard that had wildflowers. He had a beautiful garden in, like, this big. <laughs> you, know, you know, not much of a yard, that type of shit. And I jumped over the fence, and I must have stomped on every flower trying to catch this butterfly. And I dove on it and caught it. I fucked his flowers up, and I fucked the butterfly up. I imagine. And I put, then I put it in a jar. I was happy. I, could, I was able to say I caught it, but then it died. And I was like, like, yo, like, oh, grandma beat me for that. I told you I go to my yard. It might have been more for show than anything else. You know what I mean? But um, I killed the most prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life because I wanted to keep it for myself. That's what's not learned. That's a lesson. You that's can't hold the beauty that's in the world. Appreciate it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you can't contain you can't it. Keep, it's not yours. Yeah. It's not fucking yours. How the fuck you gonna keep something that ain't yours? For at least 20 years, I didn't see another butterfly. Not one. Man, that's... Well, I killed... Or no, I... Yeah, I killed the most beautiful thing I ever saw because I wanted it for myself. Yes. What a minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much, there's just so, there's a lot of metaphors with that story. Like, we all, we have talked on the podcast before about a butterfly, butterfly is beautiful. So uh -huh. you capture it and pin it down. Yes. And you try to study it. It loses a lot of its beauty and its all. This is even more of a metaphor because in order to, capture that butterfly he had to stomp on all these beautiful flowers right yeah there's there's something really 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 enlightening there for sure you know what he showed me and i i not recognizing till now at age 39 but he showed me that it was okay for men to cry mm. and because like he was a highly sensitive emotional person he was a very highly sensitive badass right and that's the <laughs> thing like he would no one messed with him ever. Right. But like he would also cry in the middle of a prayer on a radio show mm -hmm. or he would you know, hug his son after, they were, I mean, he had 15 kids. Oh, wow. Um, and so, but he'd get reunited with his oldest son, who I think is 28. And like they 
would hug and and you'd see him just just melt mm. and there was no facade there and i really think that's what i appreciated about him flaws and all and, and i mean the flaws are too many to name in a, in a single podcast mm. but if he showed us anything he showed us that like that i mean life is ephemeral right and and that it's never going to be perfect mm. we can't capture the beauty the beauty it ruins the beauty. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he, he taught us so much there. So rest yeah. in peace, DMX. Let's move into uh, Thinking the Opposite. Yeah. So this is a book that I read, and you can read it in a single sitting. It's really short. Yeah. Uh, and when I say I, I'm, I'm the slowest reader, I mean, it's mostly pictures. It's basically an adult picture book. <laughs> well, adult, that, that sounds like Playboy or something. That's not what I meant. <laughs> but uh, I... I I marked a few things here. Let's just go through these because Paul Arden, who was in uh, marketing, he I has some profound wisdom in in this book. Not all of which I agree with, but that's okay. Yeah. The uh, description here on the inside cover: This book explains the benefits of making bad decisions. Yeah. By the way, on Patreon this Thursday, we're going to do a whole episode about the worst advice we've ever been given, mm. and we had a bunch of uh, listeners write in with their worst advice ever, and we're going to sort of dissect some of that. It shows how risk is your security in life, and why unreason is better than reason. It's about having the confidence to roll the dice. Hmm. So let's talk about that. Here's my favorite story from here. It's on page 18. Mm. Hold this up for YouTube. There's a guy, well, I won't even run it. Let me, let me read it first. This is called The Right Exposure. There is a story of a professor who was bathing in the River Churwell in Oxford at a place called Parsons Pleasure, in which he was in which was the custom to swim naked. As the professor got out of the pool, a punt of undergraduates glided by, whereupon he grabbed his towel and wrapped it around his head. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got this picture, it's a, it's a drawing here, mm. of a, a naked man who, instead of covering himself up quickly with the towel, what is he doing here? Mm. Well, he's thinking the opposite. Yeah. Because it wasn't a problem that he was naked, until he saw them, not that they saw him, it's that he saw them was the real problem. Because oh. if he didn't know he was being observed, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. You know, I, uh, you know, I interpreted, dude, I totally interpreted this story Tell differently. Me. So for me, he was thinking the opposite in the sense of, because uh, most people would cover themselves yes. to not be exposed. Right. But what I got out of this was his thinking was is that if they can identify me, they can't tell that it's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that's one interpretation. I'm not saying it's a wrong interpretation. Interesting. But, but, but also, you're saying that he did it so he couldn't see them out of sight, out of mind type I'm, of thing. I'm saying the more, the more sort of profound metaphor here mm. is that if we don't care what other people think, then we can continue to be as we are. Yeah. Naked to the world, so hmm. to speak. Interesting. The very next page, this is a little something called Trapped. It's not because you are making the wrong decisions. It's because you are making the right ones. We try to make sensible decisions based on the facts in front of us. The problem with making sensible decisions is that so is everyone else. Mm. And you see a guy sort of standing in these, between all these cages. And these cages are everyone else's decision. In a way, this is a compliment to that previous page. Mm. We're imprisoned by other people's expectations, their opinions, their beliefs, their decisions that they make. And we feel as though we need to make the same decisions as them. Why did DMX stand out so much? Because 
he wasn't making the same decisions as yeah. everyone else with his music. His music was utterly different. I mean, you, you could, there's probably some nods to Tupac and, and some other you know, greats, but like it was, it was unique. It was its own thing. Yeah, because he wasn't trying to. Yeah. Well, let me map out the someone else's blueprint and turn that into my music. Right. Well, that that fails every time. You become a knockoff version. It, it's a reason. Remember when Ja Rule came out after him? Everyone's like, "Why do you sound like DMX?" It was yeah. like, "Well, because he was trying to sound like DMX." Right. Um, let me move on here to page. We'll do a couple more of these. This one's really short. Page seventy-six. There's a picture of a bunch of sheep, and it says, "Most people are other people." Hmm. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives of mimicry, their passions, a quotation, mm. which is ironically a quotation from Oscar Wilde. <laughs> and at the bottom of the page, it says, what's your opinion? I, I, I appended that. I actually crossed out opinion and said, what's the truth? Mm. Because I don't care what your opinion is. I think your opinions, your beliefs, it just creates more more of these sheep here, right? Mm -hmm. If we're following along and creating all of these beliefs and opinions. In fact, it's our beliefs and opinions that cause us to do all these quote-unquote bad things. Bad things. <laughs> Let's see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to page 88. What is a good idea? There's a picture of, well, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but you'll see it in a moment. <laughs> One that happens is, so one that happens is a good idea. Mm. If it doesn't, it isn't. Mm. When a client asked how much it would cost to get permission to photograph the Eiffel Tower for use in an advertisement, the bureaucrats representing the city of Paris said 10,000 pounds. The client didn't think that was such a good idea anymore, so they didn't use it. I wanted to use it for this book, but I don't think 10,000 pounds is such a good idea either, so I didn't ask. Boom. And here's a picture of the Eiffel Tower in this book, mm -hmm. and he didn't have to pay anyone for it. It's not yep. to say steal someone else's work, but no one owns the rights to being able to photograph the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. But if you're willing to pay someone for it, they're going to take your money. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to actually let's let's just talk about this. Um as we're talking about it's the a, opposite. It's a great book, man. Do you have any examples, Ryan, of a thinking the opposite? When oh. you, when you've benefited from maybe thinking the opposite? Oh, uh, I think the first Oh, I don't. There's so many examples. Um, I remember in high school, I used to go out of my way with teachers to um, be as nice and courteous as possible. And then when I got in trouble, instead of being defensive, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna like not be defensive, and I'm gonna think the opposite here, mm -hmm. and I'm going to uh, act like an adult. And more often than not, if I got in trouble for something, I would have, um, I don't want to say gotten away with it, but I didn't get in as much trouble as maybe I should have gotten in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so, that, I mean, that's like probably the earliest example. Um, but in the corporate days, I remember um, we used to have those uh, those chats with our the CEO of our company. Yes. His name sort of rhymes with chat. Yeah. So we were- We're calling Chet. Chats with Chet. Chats with Chet. And I remember being, uh, it was my very first chat with Chet. I was a bottom level, bottom rung employee- salesperson uh-huh and oh, i remember this still yeah and it was uh, so good he was going on and on and on about how great these new plans were and i don't even want to sit here and describe what the what the cell phone plan was but he was like and this is like going to change our whole company but 
And I just was sitting there in my head and I was thinking he couldn't be more wrong. Like this is a really, this is not a good plan. This is not a good deal. Because you dealt with customers and he didn't. Right, exactly. So a piece of me was like, don't say anything, man. Like just let him. Because you're not supposed to say anything. Right, no one was saying anything. So um, I thought the opposite. Mm -hmm. I uh, was like, you know what? I don't really have anything to lose right now. Yeah. Uh, if I get fired from this job, it's not the end of the world. Um, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and speak my mind because that's really what should be done, uh -huh. even though it's kind of frowned upon. Uh -huh. And so I, I raised my hand. I'm like, I don't think you're correct about these these cell phone plans. He's like, what do you mean you don't think I'm correct? And I was like, well, you know, you've got – I kind of laid it out for him what it was, and I, I uh, was talking about the pricing on, you know, per, per minute charge back in the day when we used to charge per minute uh -huh. for, for cell phone plans. And uh, I was like, you know, you know, it's, it costs X, you know, like uh, I was like 15 or 20 cents or something like that a minute. And he's like, well, which is it? 15 or 20 cents. And I was like, I don't know, which is it? And he looks over at the, um, the uh, uh, regional director or whatever. And he's like, oh, hey, uh, whatever her name was. Hey, how, how much is it? And she was like, oh, it's 15 cents. And he was like, it's 15 cents. Why didn't you know that? It's your job to know that. I'm like, dude, you're the CEO of the company. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it, it did act, and it did just that. It got a good laugh from the crowd. But you know, long story short, what he did is he um, he owned what I said. Is uh, he took that in? Mm -hmm. um, he he owned the fact that maybe it wasn't the best idea, and uh, he actually like made this meeting. He 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 uh, planned this meeting with me to meet with marketers and a couple other people to, to really flesh out what would be appropriate. And, and you're what 11 rungs below him on a ladder. Yes. Now, the 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 crazy thing is is like that actually inspired me to speak up more. Yes. Um and I climbed the corporate ladder really quickly in that company because I spoke up. Yeah. So it, it you know, in that sense it was the opposite of what everyone else was doing um yeah. every, everyone else was being the sheep falling in line and uh yeah I, I spoke up and i didn't i didn't care to stand out mm. and i and maybe that's what the whole i think that's what the one of the lessons in this book is you want to stand out for better or worse i mean i forget i forget what page number it's on in here but they talk about how someone who has a different idea or an opposite idea they they, they so for example for me i had that opposite you know reaction i got put you know into this position um to kind of affect uh some change with those plans but then you know let's say i had 20 bad ideas after that mm -hmm. i was still remembered for that one idea mm -hmm. and then people you know after 20 bad ideas they kind of brush me off but then that 21st idea it's another one of those mm -hmm. think the opposite great ideas and they're like oh yeah that is good right so you're only you're really only remembered and the book talks about this you're remembered only for the really good ideas that you have the peaks and valleys y yes so you may have 99 bad ideas but that one good idea is what's going to stand out and then then you have two you know then you have 198 bad ideas but then you got two that stands out and you're building this reputation you're building this resume of thinking different mm -hmm. even though you're wrong the majority of the time when you're right you're really really right it's why a lot of these sports announcers they they stay relevant because they have all these terrible takes mm -hmm. but then one of them is actually it comes true yeah and you're like oh yeah you know Stephen A Smith predicted this and you're like well, yeah, but look at the other 20 things. No one's saying like, but yeah, but you predicted these 20 things and they're all garbage. Right. It's like, no, they, they stand out. The, the only 
the only sort of thing that opposes that is if you have something that is catastrophically a bad idea that causes sure. harm, then obviously those things stand out as well. Yeah, and that, I mean, yeah, I would say your ideas have to be appropriate for sure. So a couple times, real quick, some examples that have benefited me from thinking the opposite. It's always when it's something we're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to go to college. You know, I don't have a college degree, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that it's wrong to have one. It's not wrong to not have one either. Right. Uh, you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to own a home. You're supposed to be monogamous. You know, uh, Bax and I were just talking about monogamy and sort of redefining monogamy on our podcast. It's called How to Love, by the way, if you want to check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Dude, the thing that but, stands out most to me about you thinking the opposite is when you laid yourself off. Oh, wow. Hands down, man. Like, that is the biggest moment that stands out. Uh, okay. Or, like, maybe the first moment I really saw. Yeah. Because when you're given the task, hey, Josh, uh -huh. I'm giving you the task of laying people off in the company. That's a great position to be in because well, guess what? You're not going to lay yourself off. Yeah, I'm the most safe person. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you, like, thought the opposite. And you're like, this is actually a good opportunity for me to, to seize. Yeah. Because I realized how unsafe it was in staying. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did because eventually that company was bought. And, and I'm sure the deck oh. chairs continued to be a rearranged. By the yeah. way, even if it wouldn't and I would have stayed, it was unsafe in other ways. It was unsafe for my tranquility, for my peace, for my freedom. Mm. It lacked all of those things, even though I earned a paycheck to buy a bunch of things that weren't bringing me happiness. Yeah. Thank goodness for minimalism, which we're going to talk about now. We have a question here from Lee in Portland, Maine. I have been thinking a lot about retirement. Um, Y'all tend to talk about it a lot. I really appreciate your uh, approach to saving, and it definitely made me think a lot about you know, starting to save as a 20-year-old and, and just getting going on it. So that's great. But something we talked about in my ethics class uh, this past semester was about how retirement can actually be detrimental to a person's, not well-being, but to a person's growth and development, which are two things that I think y'all really appreciate and, um, you know, tend to work on. And so I, I wanted some clarification on maybe what retirement, you know, I know it's really down the road for you two, but, you know, what that looks like. So talk about thinking the opposite here, Ryan. Uh, I think the opposite in, in so many ways with respect to retirement. So I'll give you a few things. One is I retired about 10 years ago mm -hmm. when I laid myself off. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that I am set for life. I don't have enough money. In fact, I was still in a little bit of debt at the time, mm. and I was living off of $23,000 a year. We had just started this business together, and we were sort of scraping by. I was living in a $500 a month apartment with no other bills mm -hmm. other than the basic utilities and making it work. I didn't even have internet at home mm. because I, I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd go to a local coffee shop or library or your house right. <laughs> where you were still in the corporate world. Right. And, I, and, and what I realized is like, well, it depends on what you mean by retirement here. If you talk about retirement savings, yeah, I still put money in at least 20% of my income every month into a SEP IRA or a um, S&P 500 Some kind of index, index fund. Yeah. yeah. And, and so 
Ryan and I invest money in the future. There's nothing wrong with money. We're not allergic to money. Money creates a certain, if you're going to live in society, so if you're not going to do the Ted Kaczynski thing mm-hmm. uh, without the bombing and stuff, but like just living in a cabin <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, uh, Thoreau thing is maybe a better way to put it. <laughs> Even Thoreau was a bad example because his mom did his laundry. Right. So, uh, but if you're not going to do a cabin in the middle of nowhere off the grid, then you're, what you're doing is you're saying, I have agreed to live in society, yeah. within civilization. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, you have to have some sort of currency. Our currency is called money. Mm-hmm. And and that might be replaced in the future by Bitcoin or something else. But right now, it's money. Money allows us to have a certain amount of freedom. However, how we spend our money often tethers us. And I think that's what we're talking about with Lee here, is how we spend our money actually takes away our freedom. So the money gives you the freedom. And then all of a sudden we feel the need to spend it on things we don't need. It's removing our freedom. Is that what, is that what she's saying? Cause I, cause I am a little confused with how, how is retirement detrimental? How is planning for retirement detrimental? It's when, it's once you save the money and then you go and retire. Yeah. She's not saying that planning, uh, she's saying you're, you're right. What, oh, we, yeah. once you retire, you know, if you stop growing, you die is the, the, yes. the phrase. I mean, the average lifespan of a male who retires is what like three years or it's something three years after retirement if you look at amortization tables of insurance companies right uh and and so uh that because they lose a per- they lose their purpose they, essentially. They, they lose a sense yeah purpose meaning in their life so really to append her question it's in her philosophy class they posited that if you retire without a purpose, it's going to be detrimental to your health. Right. And so what Mm -hmm. we did is we, at age 30, retired with a purpose. Pretty much. And we still have to earn a living, Mm -hmm. and money is still a part of of that. And we don't pretend that it isn't. It's no longer in the driver's seat. It no longer makes the primary decisions. However, uh, by the way, there's an essay. I put a link to this in the show notes so you can see exactly how Ryan and I plan for retirement. Uh, in fact, uh, Ryan has a financial freedom ebook that we put together. Mm. Uh, if you go to theminimalists.com slash budget, it'll show you a lot of the, the sort of the ways that we plan. That way we don't have to get into the details here. But I do want to talk about this thing with growth mm. because I used to believe that growth was you know, just great all the time. No matter how you're growing. It was good. Growth is good. Right. Well, that's not true. And in our new book, which is called Love People Use Things, I'll hold it up here for the camera. It comes out July 13th, by the way. We're getting ready to record the audio book. I love how the word opposite is in red. Very yes, apropos for this. The opposite never works. That's Love right. people use things because the opposite never works. Mm. What an astute observation, Ryan. <laughs> and speaking of astute observation, so in our first book, which is called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, we talk about the five foundational values. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a values chapter in here, and we highlight those briefly on a page or so. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about one of those is growth. Growth and contribution are the last two in Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. Yes. And, and in here, I append what I said in that first book about growth mm-hmm. with comparing responsible growth, or I think in the final version, I actually call it intentional growth Mm. and never ending growth. Our society is predicated on never ending growth. Oh my God. Think about it. Give me some examples here of of never ending growth. The the market, the stock market. Yes. It's supposed to just grow and grow and grow. And it does, Mm -hmm. um, the GDP growth, but it can't last forever. Right. I mean, eventually it's got to like yeah, and by the it's got to have its valley. <laughs> but, but when that grows, other things grow as well, like cost of living. So it's not actual right. growth there because sometimes cost of living outpaces inflation. And all of a sudden it looks like 
with growth, yeah. but it's actually a decline in a way. What was the stat you told me about all the money ever printed? Out of all the money ever printed, 30% of it was printed last year. In the United States, 37% oh of, of all- 37%? Dollars, yeah. Uh, was printed in one year. What does that wow. do? It calls a staggering inflation. That's a, a type of growth. Now, let's talk about other kinds of growth. So this is an excerpt from Love People Use Things. Please pre-order it now if you can. LovePeopleUseThings.net or find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. If you don't, you're dead to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now is the time to do it. This really helps us out. If you pre-order the book uh, and you'll get it the day that it comes out, we'll also even read it to you if you'd like because yeah. we're doing the audiobook next week. That's right. Anyway, this is a excerpt from the fourth relationship chapter. So this book's about the seven different relationships in our lives. One is our relationship with our values. And so it goes something like this. Of course, not all growth is beneficial. A bicep after a month in the gym is a type of growth, but so is a tumor. And that's where I really didn't account for in our, our first book. It was like, growth does feel like it's a quote unquote good thing, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of implied, right? When we say growth and contribution, mm-hmm. I mean, we are talking about a responsible growth. Intentional growth, but yeah. yeah. the Yeah, so the connotations there, but yeah, the, the yeah. The, we need to be careful though, because yes. there are two types of growth, but so is a tumor. Mm-hmm. So we better choose deliberately how we want to grow or we'll grow according to the dictates of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Our society has developed a particular narrative since the Industrial Revolution, one that says we must explore never-ending growth, which might sound appealing at first, but it's not the type of growth I'm interested in. What I'm focused on is intentional growth. Never-ending growth says we must grow at any cost. Intentional growth happens when we grow in accordance with our values. Mm -hmm. Have you ever made a, quote, one-time compromise that led to a series of greater compromises? I have. I've literally lied and stolen to get what I wanted. There's a story earlier in this book where, actually in this chapter, where I talk about yeah. uh, shoplifting. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and being arrested and, and uh, fingerprinted and all that fun it's, stuff. I, it, I just have like this wave of emotion thinking about those little decisions that just lead to other little decisions that lead to other little decisions. And then, yeah, you look in the rear view and you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and in the moment, it doesn't feel like much. Right. But then it adds up really quickly. Mm-hmm. So, so, but then I didn't stop with the first indiscretion. I'd lie to cover up the previous lie, and then I'd need to tell an even bigger lie to cover up the cover-up. What a tangled web. This often happens when we compromise, even though there's nothing intrinsic, intrinsically wrong with compromise itself. In fact, most relationships require continually meeting in the middle. The problem occurs when we compromise what we want to get what we want today. Mm. Tweet that podcast, Sean. So think about that. We compromise what we want, what we truly desire to get what we want today, right now, instant gratification, right? Mm. It's harder to stick to our principles, to avoid the allure of the shortcut, but it's important if we want to grow the right way. Never-ending growth forsakes people for profitability. That's another problem with never-ending growth. Mm It's not about people ever. It's about the almighty dollar. Mm -hmm. Intentional growth doesn't pretend money is irrelevant, but it doesn't allow the profit motive to run the show either. Ryan and I run two profitable businesses, The Minimalist in Los Angeles, California, and Bandit Coffee Co. in St. Petersburg, Florida. But money is not the primary driver for either. We focus on adding value to our readers, listeners, viewers, followers, clients, and customers without undermining our values. We treat our employees fairly and pay them good wages. 
fair wages. Mm -hmm. uh, we focus on quality, not quantity. We don't run advertisements on any of our platforms. We don't sell our audience's data to third parties. And we don't send spam or junk to anyone ever. As a result, people trust us and they're willing to support our work, be it the books we write or the coffee we roast. Mm. The Minimalists.coffee, by the way, if you want some coffee. <laughs> and uh, coffee roast. Sure, we may not squeeze every nickel out of either business this quarter, but it's easier to sleep at night knowing we're doing the right thing. And we feel better about the long-term prospects of both enterprises when their growth isn't predicated solely on padding our wallets. Mm. One more thing here. One, uh, never-ending growth worries about competition and increased expectations. Intentional growth contemplates cooperation and higher standards. Think about that. You mm. could tweet any of these podcasts, mm. Sean. These all sort of stand out here because, yeah, well, I'll just go on to say this. During my corporate days, we fixated so heavily on imaginary targets. My retail stores were responsible for tracking 29 different performance metrics on a daily basis. You remember that well, Ryan, mm -hmm. which meant that even on a, quote, great sales day, we could always find something to make us discontented. Mm, always. Yeah, I remember that was like when my boss came at me for not getting more than 120% or 130% of my goal. Yeah. It was just like, oh, like you're you're never going to be satisfied. Yes. Yeah. And that's never-ending growth. Yeah. Is never-ending dissatisfaction. Ooh, mm. never-ending growth is never-ending dissatisfaction. Yeah, that's good. We do this in our personal lives too, don't we? We look at the scale in our bathroom and pretend it's readout is a proxy for well-being. Mm -hmm. We look at the numbers on our bank statement and pretend they're a proxy for happiness. We look at the material possessions in our home and pretend they are a proxy for completeness. These expectations only grow in time. What was once a grand hope becomes commonplace as our expectations expand, creating chaos along the way. The antidote to this chaos is a bit of a paradox. To restore order in our lives, we must lower our expectations, but raise our standards. And I go on to give an example of how we can do that. I'm not going to read all of that here. But what I will say is, Lee, let me send you a copy of Love People Use Things. You're going to get an advanced copy for your question. Because, yes, retirement can mean one thing, and it can mean the loss, the death of purpose, mm. the death of meaning in your life. Or it can mean that, oh, I didn't really find meaning in what I was doing. I can move on to something meaningful. I work a lot now, mm. but it almost feels like a compulsion. I don't feel as though I, I have to do it, but I have to do it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Lee, enjoy that book. If you like the, uh, uh, the podcast, I think you'll enjoy this or if you want the audiobook version even we can send that to you once it is finished up to you morgan has a little comment here ryan i wanted to read this real quick this mm. is from our online city minimalist.org meetup group so we have a hundred free local meetup groups over at minimalist.org mm -hmm. if one of those isn't in a city near you it's eight different countries we also have this online city which is thriving i think there's mm -hmm. 14 or fifteen thousand people in this group and uh Occasionally, I'll just hop in there and I'll interact with some folks. It's actually probably the place, besides Patreon, that I interact with people the most is here at minimalist.org in the online city. Hmm. So Morgan said, I had five pillows in my garage waiting to be washed for the last three months. Today, I put them in the dumpster. 
I was listening to the Minimalist Hoarders podcast on YouTube, and they described what hoarding is. Ooh, and, the different levels. Yes. Mm. She said, I am a level two. And so you and I, we talked. So go back and listen to that podcast if you'd like. We did a whole podcast on hoarders very recently. Sean will put a link to that in the show notes. And I really enjoyed the Maximal episode we did for that as well. You can find that on the Minimalist Private Podcast. But I responded to her. And I just said, congratulations for letting go. And she said, that's it. Just letting go is so hard. I literally got rid of one half of our stuff after watching Minimalism. But now I'm stuck with Legos and stuff from my kids who are now 19 and 14. But I'm having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I just responded with, remember, letting go isn't something you do. It's something you stop doing. Mm -hmm. You stop clinging. You stop worrying about what other people are thinking about other people's expectations, you drop it, not prescriptively, but you simply let it go because you're not holding on to it anymore. Mm. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. During the lightning round, so Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. You can find all of our minimal maxims in one place as well. Minimalmaxims.com. All right. We got a question from Annie. Some of the worst advice I've received is fake it until you make it. What is wrong with being a work in progress? It's funny because I actually think that's not good or bad advice. It's just Ooh. it can be either, really. That's that's a really great point. So it's contextual, right? <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, it's only bad advice if we're searching for good advice in a mm, way. Yeah. Why don't you start with your pithy answer? I know you've got some stuff for us. So my pithy answer is all advice is bad advice. And let's talk about why that is because I obviously agree got, with that. Yeah, we have to unpack it. B because if you just tweet that, it's going to be incendiary mm -hmm. and and what you and I have talked about is like we're trying to get out of the advice business, not because we don't want to help people, but because what we're trying to do is observe in a way that doesn't put us on a pedestal. Yeah, I'm not better than you. The, the, the DMX thing, it's not that he was better than I mean, he was better looking than us, <laughs> but that's not within our control anyway. Right. Right. But the, the thing was, was it, it's not about doling out advice because that puts me on a pedestal but i can make some observations while i'm standing right next to you yeah and the truth is you can make those same observations and have that same understanding if you also choose to wake up so when you say all advice is bad advice what you're saying is as we're constantly looking for someone else's advice that is going to be detrimental to our own sort of intentional growth yeah i mean Sometimes people get caught up in looking for advice or looking for the solution rather than just taking some actions. Mm -hmm. So the fake until you make it advice, for me, I look at that as, you know, it could be good if let's say I wanted to um, be really healthy and be like in the best shape of my life. Mm -hmm. Like I would wake up in the morning and I would ask myself, what would the healthiest person in the world do right now? Mm -hmm. Like, are they going to eat a blueberry muffin? Or are they going to drink a big glass of water and then maybe go for a walk? Mm -hmm. So fake it till you make it isn't terrible advice uh, unless you think that that is the answer. Now, if you think fake it till you make it is the answer, then it is going to be the wrong advice. That's I, interesting. I could have said all advice is good advice also. Okay. And it would have applied. Well, so so I don't know that I agree with that. And, and let, me, let me say why. Because 
when I talk about advice, maybe all observations are good observations, something like that. But but there is something with because advice comes from a place of here's what I think is right, and and therefore it moralizes something in a way and so the the fake it till you make it thing the 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 problem i have with that is i don't want to fake it right i want to be authentic until i make it and by the way we've already made it Mm. and so thinking we have to make it is also bad advice because you've already made it you're already there wherever you are you are there but what i really want to talk about is the second part of this question Hmm. what is wrong with being a work in progress. Here's my pithy answer. We can unpack it. Progress is achieved not through addition, but through subtraction. Mm. So think about that for a moment. If we want to make progress, we're often, often trying to do something. In fact, on the private podcast this week, I'm going to talk about the problem with doing. I have an essay called Changing Your Life Won't Change Your Life. Mm. And and what I really mean by that is quite often we try to do a bunch of things because we see other people, they dole out the advice this is what you should do, what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I want to think the opposite. The only thing that I want to progress at is figuring out what is essential. And to get what is essential in our society, unless you're living in extreme deprivation, we already have enough. Mm. And identifying a couple of weeks, we're going to do a podcast episode about enoughism. Mm. And, and identifying what is enough is so critical because if you do that, it's almost never the adding that gets you to enough. Yeah. It's always the subtracting. It's the laying yourself off. It's the getting rid of you know, home internet because I couldn't afford it and I didn't want to be tethered to that lifestyle. Yeah. It's always through subtraction. And then the things we add after that are almost always incidental in a way. They're, mm. they're cosmetic or mechanical. But the profound progress becomes from, from subtracting. Our friend Chris Ryan wrote a book called Civilized to Death, the subtitle of which is The Price. What is the price of progress? Mm-hmm. Well, think about that. Progress, we often think about as getting more, having more, needing more, growing, responsible growth, or even just never ending growth. Mm. Well, okay. But what is the price of that growth? Mm. If you give up your equanimity and tranquility to get everything, You've actually lost everything. It goes back to that. That's the metaphor in DMX's butterfly story Mm. is he ruined all the beautiful things Mm -hmm. at the cost of getting what he wanted. Yes. The butterfly. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's so hard because of the way we've been kind of thinking lately and trying to get out of the advice business. Mm -hmm. It really has me looking at everything as a two sided coin seeing and and I'll, I'll tell you like i mean just a little here's a little taste of the maximal segment we're going to talk about bad advice let me read two of these bad advices do it <clears throat> joy says it's a good thing this is this is bad advice that she received mm-hmm. it's a good thing to always have some debt and payments that's the bad advice she received mm-hmm. maggie the bad advice she received was never have debt or use it to build credit uh-huh. it's complete opposite of each other yes one is one is uh saying the exact opposite of the other and that's that's what has me looking at everything as a two-sided coin and why i'm saying all advice is bad advice or hey you know what all advice is good advice depends on what you do with it Mm. maybe you give me a piece of crappy advice and i'm like oh i know i shouldn't act on that 
Mm-hmm. In a way, that was good advice. Right, in a way. Of yeah. what, what not to do. A roundabout way. Yeah. yeah. I think quite often, in fact, any of that advice, if it helps you identify what not to do, that's when it does become the good, good advice. advice. That's where we, right. where, where, where we converge here. So, so the, the problem, though, lies, and, and you've been saying this a lot, the problem is the solution. So I would append that and I would say- I say it the other way around, but that, that's good too. Yeah, oh, the solution is a problem, yeah. yeah. But so I would append that, and I would say the advice is the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's if we're if we're seeking only advice, it's not going to get us anywhere. It's going to uh, do what everyone else has done. It's going that's where it's going to lead us. It's going to lead way, us how's to that working out. Yeah, it's going to lead us to mediocrity, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with being. Me- I'm mediocre in a lot of things. Me too. Um, but but if you're seeking advice and you're only acting on the quote good advice, mm-hmm. then you're going to be media. You're going to be, uh, yeah, mediocre. Well, think about mediocre. Mediocre, it's, yeah. Think, think, <laughs> think of how, how potato, tomato. <laughs> think of how how uh, you've tried to improve your life. How is that working out by adding? Is buying the new thing improving your life? No, it's not. You're already complete. It's not mm-hmm. making your life more complete. How is betterment helping you out? It's not really. It might for a moment, but when we're talking about lasting change, it's always internal. It has to do with an understanding, an awareness, a seeing reality for what it is. And we have to uncover that through subtraction. Yeah. We're going to talk so much more about that. But Ryan, what do you have for us first? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name's Emma. Um, I'm from Fresno, California. I just wanted to leave a comment for listeners. Um, when I tried to do minimalism, I noticed that as a woman, I had so many products um, as far as makeup, lotions, perfumes, makeup remover, um, and just a lot of bathroom products. So I looked into more natural ways to get more function out of products, and I went ahead and switched over to using coconut oil. Um, which can be used to, for basically any products that I had, I was able to replace it with coconut oil, and um, I went ahead and just threw away a bunch of the products I had, and it really minimized um, the amount of clutter I had under my sink in my bathroom, which was really freeing. So just wanted to share that tip. Thanks. Hi, my name is Nakia, and I am from Nebraska. In listening to the spouses episode, it really got my mind wandering of some guilt that I had been holding on to. My husband, um, when we were dating, I got rid of some of his uh, things, such as a Packers uh, poster, and I got rid of some golfing things and some bowling things. And we don't live in a house where there's room for a man cave or a she shed, but I really just decided that, um, and with the help of myself, we talked about it, and we decided that we don't need a space in our home that is dedicated to things that we wish we would be doing. So we have pledged to each other that instead of deciding that we want to hang Brett Favre on our wall, we're my husband is more than welcome to go watch a Packers game, or maybe someday we'll get to go, um, instead of having... Phil Mickelson up on our wall or having a glove with his name on it, we can just go ahead and he can go golfing or perhaps get to go to one of our, one of his things that he does in golf. 
So um, that's just my suggestion, just to just to go and do the things versus surrounding yourself with the things that you wish you would be doing. All right, y'all, we had a bunch more questions this Thursday on Patreon. That's the maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast, theminimalists.com slash support if you want to be a subscriber over there. But first, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. You've heard me talk about this. Well, it's finally opening back up, Ryan. It's been seven years in the making. But finally, the new version, the brand new version of How to Write Better, my writing class, launches on Friday, May 7th. Nice. It's open for 48 hours only. You can get details over at howtowritebetter.org. But Josh, what if I already paid for the old version? Oh, what a great question, Ryan. (laughs) Then pay for this one too. (laughs) No, just kidding. If you paid for the old version, you took the class. If you took the class, you get this new version at no additional charge. And so we're going to reach out to you if you did take the class previously, you will get this one. You don't have to pay a dime. If you're interested in taking the class, it's only 100 students, the enroll or 48 hours, whichever comes first. So sometimes the class sells out in 24 hours. I suspect this one might as well because it's the brand new version. Jordan did an amazing job on all of these videos. We're still doing the final edits as we record this, but we, we came in and we redid the entire class. All of the, the course materials, it's like 60 pages of course materials. How many videos would we do? Like 20, 30, 40? I don't know how many. It's a ton of videos. And it, the class goes through your email. It's four weeks long. You could take it whatever time frame you want. Ryan, you've taken the class in the past. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a habits course, really, is what it is. Yeah. But it, it really gets granular with your habits and, yeah, why they're important. And it's about, yeah, understanding the habits instead of just saying, let's do yes. this thing. And then we talk about composition. We talk about editing. The second week's all about composition. The third week's all about editing. The fourth week is about getting your work out in front of people. So writing so that you can be read by an audience. And mm-hmm. so I talk about how you and I developed an audience over the last decade or so. And so you can check that out, howtowritebetter.org. You can sign up for the email list over there. You'll also get the free ebook. It's called 11 Ways to Write Better. We'll notify you as soon as the class opens. Of course, I'll never send you spam or junk or anything like that. Howtowritebetter.org. I feel like we really should have talked about how when we decided to simplify our lives, that's another example of thinking the opposite Mm. because everyone's looking for more, 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 more. And then we got to introduce the minimalism and we were like, oh, Yes. What if we did less? Mm-hmm. What if we focused on getting less? Yes. Um, but if it wasn't for thinking the opposite that way, we wouldn't be here right now. Totally. I mean, that's that's uh, the whole reason why we're here right now is we started thinking the opposite. We, we were going after less instead of more. Yeah. And what got us into trouble was the growth, was the more, mm-hmm. was the... The debt. Yeah. 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 The, the striving, the mm-hmm. chasing, the pursuit, the pleasure... All of those things, the same things that got DMX mm-hmm. in trouble, the the pursuit of pleasure and and the escapism. Yeah. The, the reason he ad- identified with his story, if not his music so much, was that I see humanity in him. Mm-hmm. I would say I see myself in him, but no, I see all of humanity and our struggles. And our struggles aren't fixed by amassing more. Mm. And when you and I began to think the opposite, what do we remove? What do we subtract? What is enough? Mm. By the way, just asking that question, what is enough is thinking the opposite. Yeah. No one asked that question. The question earlier with Lee, when we talk about retirement, okay, what does retirement mean for you? What is enough? 
Because if you identify what enough is, then you can back into that number, right? Yeah. And once you've identified enough, mm-hmm. then you almost always subtract. Occasionally, you might have to add. Mm. But when you've identified enough, then you know where you go from here. And what, by the way, the actions then just happen on their own. You don't have to do some actions that someone advised you to do. Right. You know what to do when you know what enough is. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. Ryan, for our added value this week, my favorite DMX song is called Slippin'. It's off his second album, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. And uh, by the way, listen for a little beautiful surprise at the end of the song. A little something special that I found from 2016 from DMX. Enjoy the song. It's called Slippin'. We have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like What are 10 things people are going to leave behind after the pandemic? Why doesn't decluttering or habit change work? And we're going to examine some of the worst advice ever given. Plus a million more questions for The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, join us on The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. Join 6,000 or so other listeners over there. We have a whole community. It's thriving. And by the way, you get all of our archives. Talk about more, much more of less. Uh, Some amazing conversations over there. They're longer form conversations than these shorter podcasts that we do for the public. It's a place that we can let our hair down. We could talk about some things that we don't always talk about in public, some things we may even be afraid to talk about in public. That's The Minimalist Private Podcast, theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Come to one of our live podcast shows, which are starting again real soon. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalist. If you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at the minimalists.com what won't we send you spam junky junky spam no advertisements but we will send you any of our minimalist writings for free whenever those are published as well and if you leave here today with just one message let it be this love people and use things because the opposite never works thanks for listening y'all we'll see you next time see to live is to suffer to survive well that's to find meaning in the suffering. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can tear Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can tear I don't ask questions I don't need to know the answer to. Because at the end of the day, I know who I'm an answer to. Ain't none of us bigger than God. What it is, the more dirt you've been through, the bigger the scar. The more hurt you've been through, the bigger you are. And you'll see it's bigger than what you figure you are. We're all part of the plan. Try to stay on the right side of the fence with the devil riding you since you can remember. And sometimes that's all you can remember. But it won't always be as cold as December. The storm comes to an end, they always do. But the word of God is always true. Have faith. And when I, when I wrote those words, I was, I, was, I was living it at that time. I was like... God, if you do nothing else ever with me, show me, show me, please, right now, how much you love me. Just, just show me. You mean? Because without that, 
I don't know how much longer I'm going to make it.